Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Emuna. Decaffeinated style. Everyone should have a meaningful and an uplifting fast. I want to thank our generous sponsors of the series for the year. Our dear friends, Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbin, in memory of Bella's mother, Dr. Alan Shanzer. Zirat site is the 10th, uh, was the 10th of Adar. Today's, this morning's Sheer is also sponsored by Sarah Margulies in commemoration of her mother's Yurtzeit, Miriam Bas Mordechai on March 19th. I hope Sarah is watching and with us and wishing her well, and thank you so much for that generosity. And sponsored anonymously for the Refua Shlema of Chaim Ozer Ben Leah, should have a speedy, painless, and full Refua Shlema, Chaim Ozer Ben Leah. We are in the final stretch. This is the last week of the BRS Global Campaign. If you've not yet contributed, if you're a BRS member, you're more than doing your part. If you're not a BRS member, and you're enjoying our classes, our writing, our article, our coffee cups, then please, brsonline.org slash global, brsonline.org slash global. Please do your part to help enable us to continue to teach and to spread and to get the message out. Speaking of empty coffee cups, so you know that we uh, sold last week and we're going to sell them again this morning, our Caffeinate with Kavana. Get your day started. Make the bracha with Kavana. We also now have the disposable edition. So next week, Amir Tzashem, we will have them. We'll be drinking from them. They're free. We'll also provide if people want to take a stack of them home for a donation. So we have our reminder every day. Caffeinate with Kavana. Get your first bracha started off correctly. This is one of the benefits of coming in person. If you're watching online, we do not yet have the ability to sell you or send to you. However, for the right donation to the global campaign, I'll fly there and bring it to you. So, be generous. Sue, what's that right to the donation? That's a good question. Let me put it this way. We're at 126,000. We have to get to 150,000. If you get us there, I will fly and bring you whatever you want. With coffee. $24,000? I can't fly and bring someone what they want? Yechevet will come with me. <laughs> and we'll take it out of the money. So, Get us to the end and we're there. Okay, before we jump into today, today's Tanis Esther, we're going to talk about Tanis Esther and Purim for a moment, although we won't harp on it because there are many people who listen to the Amunashir not on the day that it's presented. We want to continue to make it relevant all year round. But I want to first read to you an amazing email. I got several emails. I love the emails. But here's another amazing email about smiling. I hope everyone's still doing their homework and smiling. Now you may say, Rabbi, smile? It's Tanis Esther. Who smiles on Tanis Esther? It's a fast day. Fast days are about tshuva, they're about repentance. Could you text Jeffrey to raise the air conditioning? Without breakfast, it gets colder. Anyway, Tanis Esther's a fast day. Smile? Isn't that inconsistent? Isn't that incongruous? Isn't that in conflict with the notion of a fast day? So the answer is, you're wrong. Most fast days, you're right. The Rambam writes that most fast days are Mibnei Hatzoros. We fast because of the calamities and the tragedies that occurred to us. And the fast day should motivate and spur us to do tshuva by abstaining and refraining from physical and material pleasure, indulging in the physical material world. It reminds us to emphasize our soul, our neshama, not our guf, our body. So normally a fast is there, it's designed to elicit from us a sense of tshuva, that we should do tshuva. But the Rambam, when he writes about Tanis Esther, he doesn't say Bnei he doesn't say that we fast to commemorate calamity. He says we fast, we're fasting to remember the way they did it years ago. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people were in peril. 
2,000 years ago, the Jewish people confronted their future. And do you know what they did? What did Mordechai say? What was Mordechai's reaction? What was his antidote? What was the answer to a wicked, evil, nefarious person who stood up and pledged to exterminate and eradicate the Jewish people? What did Mordechai do? He certainly didn't say, nah, he doesn't mean it. You don't understand him. He had a rough childhood, Haman. It's not his fault, but he'll never follow through. It's a bluff. Show him love. You know what Mordechai did? He said, Lech kenos kol Go and gather all the Jewish people of Etzuma and go fast and daven. Go practice unity. Come together. Have a connection. Have camaraderie. And when the miracle happens, by the way, we continue to promote that. How? Mishloch manos ish Normally every man for himself. Have you been to a shmorg recently? Normally it's every person for themselves. You take your life into your own hands at a shmorg. I always marvel at the separate seating weddings that have a mixed shmorg. You, you know, a mixed shmorg, you know, you can hashtag me too at a shmorg, going for that piece of sushi or, or stuffed cabbage. So what do you mean? Go and gather everyone and go fast. Go fast. So Mishloch Manos, Purim, the mitzvah is, we give a gift to the other person. Not every person for themselves. Not who can amass and take the best food. Who can give and contribute. Why? It's a big machlokas. It's a debate, the origin or the reason for Mishloch Manos. But the simple understanding of the Megillah is, Mishloch Manos Ish L'Re'ehu. Go form a reus. Go form a friendship. Go form a connection. Go form a bond. Go create community. That's what saved us and got us through it. And that's what will save us and get us through it again. And that's what we create. So therefore, Rambam writes, that Tanis Esther, today the fast, it's not a sad fast. It's not a somber fast. This is not even a fast. We're supposed to do tshuva every day. But this is not a fast to motivate us to do tshuva. Today's fast is to remember and recall and to relive the way that we practiced unity back then, that the answer or the catalyst, if you want to get to Purim tonight, if you want to get to the partying tonight, it's preceded, it must be preceded first by lech kenos kol We have to fast, we have to feel together, we have to feel connected. So this is a fast which is not motivating or inspiring tshuva, this is a fast which is commemorative and reliving the way that we gathered together back then. If you want to get it together, it's only by being together. The way to get it together is by being together. So there's no fewer reasons to fast this year than any other year. You know, my sister was in Moldova. She was volunteering with United Atsala to help get people across the border. She just uh, went on the plane. United Atsala has been commissioning planes, bringing refugees to Israel. So I spoke to her when she got back to Israel and she was describing the scene. She said, it's mamish like fiddler on the roof. You stand there and you watch the border and you're seeing. You're seeing old people with canes and walkers but leaving all their possessions behind. You're seeing women who said goodbye to their husbands who are not allowed to leave. They have to stay and fight and there's no way that they'll ever know how they are. There's no way for them to be in contact. There's no connection for them to have. You're seeing children, you're seeing people leave all their possessions, all their items behind, come at the bare minimum with nothing and nowhere to go. And if not for the people there taking care of them, it's absolutely astonishing what's happening. So lech kenos kol yehudim. Are we not in a circumstance? You know, we sitting here in Boca Raton and sunny Florida and palm trees and we watch the news and maybe we're startled for a moment and then we go back to what we were doing. But there's something historic and horrific that's happening. And, and our lives have to be interrupted. And this Tanis Esther, let us not only fast today just because it says we have to fast, 
but let that fast be a recreation of coming together and of being together, of getting together in order to be able to please God, be worthy of Hashem's salvation yet again. Let us be worthy of Hashem's salvation yet again. So, oh, how do we get to this? Smiling, because you'll say, but it's Tanis Esther, the answer the Ravid writes, the Ravid, the great intellectual adversary of the Rambam, the Ravid writes that there's nothing wrong with being happy on this fast. Most fasts, you walk around somber and you daven and you're serious and you grow and chuva and introspection and self-reflection. But this fast, Tanis Esther, it's unlike any other fast. This is a happy fast. In other words, tonight and tomorrow we'll relive Purim, but today we relive what enabled Purim by coming together, davening, fasting, and so on. So smiling is not antithetical or contradiction to Tanis Esther and Purim. So we've been talking about smiling, simcha and smiling and shiduchim. So I got another email. Thanks from New York. I won't say which community. For all the awesome Torah, I'd love a mug. Fine, too bad. You don't live here. Your story on the Amunashir. It's got to be some privileges to being local, no? But again, anonymous person for the right price. I will hand deliver your mug. Your story on the Munashir brought me joy and a smile. 20 plus years ago, as a young single college graduate in the community, I went for a bracha from a particular Rebbe. After four hours, I was called in. The Rebbe said to be happy. I said, Rebbe, I am happy. He said, be happy. I was like, wow. If this is all the Rebbe said to me, it must be a very deep Torah concept. It must be something I need. I'm generally a very happy, positive person. Optimistic, smiley, but those words stuck with me. And I turned my relationships, especially with Hashem, to focus on happiness. I made a conscious effort to smile much more. And then, Kodesh Baruch Hu sent me my zivug. He sent me my other in a similar way to your story. I was on the woman's side at a kiddush and shoe on the upper west side, and my now husband saw me smiling, and he asked a friend, who's that woman smiling? And I was set up. The power of a smile and Amuna, we were married, that Tez Zion Adar. And now a gazillion sleepless nights and four children, and thousands of rides to school, Mishmar sports, I do it all with a smile. Each carpool, a smile is the first thing people notice externally. She was wonderful reminder. Thank you. Um, P.S. I was always petrified on parent-teacher conference night. Okay. Anyway. Spoke about that also last week. So smiling, the power of a smile. Power of a smile. That should be our Shidduch campaign. Smile for Shidduchim. How many people are telling us stories that they hit a wall, they weren't being set up, they weren't meeting the other, and they made a conscious effort to smile, and that's what attracted people to them. You notice the person smiling. You know, a person who has a positive energy and aura is not just who they are. The positive energy and aura surrounds them. It gets to the room before they get there. So a smile, a smile changes the energy, a smile changes the aura, a smile changes absolutely everything. The power of the smile, the power of simcha, the power of positive thinking, power of a positive bias, the positive of, the power of positivity in general, that is what we have been learning. One more perm thought, which is relevant all year, whenever you're listening to this, but it's worth listening to. Rav Zilberstein. Quotes, last time I shared with you Rav Zilberstein, I told you once a month he puts out a sefer called Vavaya Amudim. Last month I shared with you his introduction where he talked about, imagine you, someone from 200 years ago met someone from today. You've been plumbing, electricity, dishwasher, washing machine, everyone must be happy. No, actually, people are more miserable than ever. How could that be? Remember that was last time. So this time in his introduction for the second month of Adar, he talks about the following. He says, there are two people we have in Tanakh who are Matzachin, who found favor in other people's eyes. One of them is Esther. And who is the other? Joseph. Is Yosef. Very good. 
Very good, Elaine. Is Yosef, Yosef HaTzadik, Yosef and Esther both find favor. What do they have in common? Rezulvashtim points out, both of them are incredibly positive people. Both of them a smile and a positive energy and a positive aura, and that's what finds favor in other people's eyes. But here's the remarkable thing about both of them. Both of them had an incredibly challenging and otherwise objectively miserable lives or parts of their life. Yosef, who's on top of the world, is then thrown in a pit, left to die, sold to slavery, falsely accused, languishing in prison, separated and apart from his father and his family. Look at Yosef's life. Look at Yosef's life. And Yosef had every right to be down, depressed, negative, focused on himself. Yosef had every right, a, a shtickle negativity, a shtickle frown, to sit there and say, what was me, you know? I miss my father. My mother passed away. I didn't even get to know her. I miss my family. I'm in a foreign land. I'm falsely accused. If anyone had a right to be a little down and you'd say, no, what's the matter? You'd say, yeah, you have a right to be a little down. But Yosef stayed positive and hopeful and optimistic and faithful. And he smiled. He smiled. And that changed his life. And Esther Amalka, you know, normally a baby's born, of Zilberstein writes this way, a baby's born and the first scream is Mazel Tov. When Esther was born, the first scream was, I'm so sorry. Her mother died in childbirth. Esther never met her mother. She was an orphan from day one, from hour one, from moment one. Instead of a being Mazel Tov, Esther's baby naming was a Shiva. And she goes to live with her uncle Mordechai and she's davening and desperate and lonely. She marries her uncle and Vashti dies and Achashverosh is doing a, uh, a beauty contest. And Esther davens her heart out and says, let it not be me, let me not be chosen, let me not be noticed. She knows she has striking looks. And does Hashem listen? She's chosen. She says, let me live in the palace, but there's so many other wives. Let him not notice or care about me. Does Hashem answer? No. Achashverosh chooses and falls in love with her. At every step of the way, she davens and pours out her heart. And seemingly every step of the way, Hashem says no. No to having a mother. No to finding happiness. No to not being chosen by Achashverosh. No to not being Achashverosh's favorite. Every step of the way, she davens. Every step of the way, he says no. Does she lose her faith? Does she lose her positivity? Does she lose her smile? She still finds favor in the eyes of everyone around her. Yosef, and that's why Adar is the month of Yosef. Each month is associated with one of the Shvatim. Adar, in which Purim occurs, is the month of Yosef, because Yosef and Esther have this in common that no matter what's happening in their lives. Now, you can imagine, Esther spends her life thinking that she's hearing no, but at the end, she looks back at the story and realizing every no was really a yes. Hashem was positioning her all along to be in the right place at the right time and able to say the right thing and save her people. All along, it seemed like she was getting no after no, but really, it was all one big yes. Just didn't know that till the end. I said yesterday at the Parsha class, the Minchas Asher of Asher Weiss points out, normally when we read the Torah, we read it as a scroll that we open. So what we've just read then gets rolled into the scroll and you don't see it. But the Megillah is unusual. It's the only thing that we read that you have to unfold entirely. It's called an Igeris, a letter, so we read it. If you look tonight, you'll notice tonight and tomorrow the Balkore doesn't, you know, sit with a scroll. My Megillah, I'm following along, I have a scroll, just the column that they're up to, I read. But the Balkore, the one reading the Megillah, unfolds the entire thing and folds it so they keep flipping it over, but it's all open. And says in Russia, you know why? Because this is a story that you can only understand when the whole thing's open in front of you from beginning to end. You have to see the entire thing at once. We sometimes zoom in and we only see a moment of time and we don't understand, where are you, God? And why me? And why is this happening? And sometimes you have to open the entire story. 
And you have to have it all unfolded in front of you. And only when you could see it from beginning to end does it come into clarity. Only then does it make sense. And that's why we read the Megillah in this unusual fashion. Yosef sitting languishing in prison. Do you know how Yosef gets out of prison? You know what day of the year he got out of prison, by the way? We commemorate it every year on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Yosef got a new lease on life. It was his Rosh Hashanah. He got a new lease on life and he left prison on Rosh Hashanah. What precipitated what was the catalyst to his leaving prison? Because there were two people who had dreams and Yosef successfully interprets their dreams and one of them remembers him when he gets out and that's Yosef's ticket out. Why was Yosef talking to them in the prison cell? What was the conversation? So the answer is Yosef sitting there and he sees two downtrodden, he sees two negative people with a negative aura, negative energy, the miserable fabison is sad, moaning, complaining, groaning. And he says to them, hey brothers, hey, what's with the sad face? In this cell, we're only happy. This prison cell is only smiles. Get that sadness out of here. What's with the sadness? They say, well, what's the sadness? Do you know who we were and how we got here? Do you know the dreams that we had and what's going to be? Yosef says, well, I can interpret them. I got bad news for one of you, good news for one of you, but I can interpret your dreams. What precipitated, what led to Yosef's liberation from prison was, No matter what he confronted, no matter what he faced, Yosef was determined to be happy. He put a smile on his face no matter what. And I want to again qualify as I have the last several weeks. I'm not suggesting that a person sitting Shiva should sit with a smile on their face. There are moments of emotional, spiritual, physical pain. I'm not suggesting that while you're going through rehab for your torn Achilles and it hurts, that it's not okay for it to hurt. You don't have to smile. There are moments of pain of every which way and it's okay to not smile in those moments. But the default, what should be the default disposition? The default disposition on our face should be a smile. So Yosef says, I don't, you think I'm happy to be here? I'm also, I was, I was up top of the world, I was thrown in a pit, I was sold into slavery, I was falsely accused. Do you know what I did for my boss, Potiphar? Do you know how I quadrupled his portfolio? I made him a rich man, I took care of his home. Do you know that when his wife put advances on me every single day, as tempted as I was, I respected and honored his marriage? And you know what I got in return? I'm sitting here in this prison. And do you see me, said? With all that, says Yosef, I've got a smile on my face. You know why? Because a smile and happiness is a decision, not an emotion. Says Yosef, I've made the decision to be happy. I put a smile on my face. So what about you two? What's the deal? No sadness in this cell. Only happiness. Smile for Shaduchim. Only happiness, he says to the two of them. And you know what happens? He gets out because of that. It's his Rosh Hashanah. It happened on Rosh Hashanah. And our Rosh Hashanah, you want a new year? Care about other people. Ask them how they're doing. Take away their sadness and show them your smile, like Yosef. So Yosef and Esther, Adar is the month of Yosef. Esther, the two of them were determined that no matter what, can you imagine Esther? She says, Hashem, it wasn't bad enough that I grew up, I never met my mother. Not bad enough that I never met my mother. She died in childbirth. I never met her, I know nothing about her. There are no videos, there are no pictures, there's no testimonials, there's nothing. That wasn't bad enough. And then instead of living happily married to my uncle, who at least takes care of me, took care of me. Now you took me into the home of Achashverosh and now you made me his favorite and now all of that's not enough. But she doesn't say that. She has a smile. She's determined to be happy, a positivity bias. And as these emails keep reflecting, smiles change your life. Smile makes all the difference in the world. I got another incredible email. I'm gonna share it for next week.
when you can first caffeinate with Kavana and a cup of coffee so you'll remember the next week's story. But smile, smile changes the world. And that's what the holiday of Purim is all about. It's not just about, it's not just about an excuse and reason to party. Purim is smile, be happy. Because you know what, whatever it looks like on the surface, when you read the Megillah, do you see Hashem's name? It's nowhere in the black ink, but it's all over the white parchment. Hashem's name is nowhere written with black ink, but His name is etched everywhere on the white parchment. You gotta look for it, you gotta find it, you have to reveal it. And you have to remember that no matter what appears on the surface, no matter what it looks like on the outside, there's a deeper reason, a deeper meaning, a deeper purpose. There's a deeper story. So smile. Smile because we're going to find out what it is. We are on page Kufnun Gimel, 153, Rav Itzra Meyer, Rav Itzra And we've been discussing this notion that smiling, that happiness is a decision, not an emotion. That when we attach ourselves to someone or something which is shalim and whole, then we can feel whole. When we feel incomplete or broken, we can't feel happy. So how can we feel happy? By being connected to that which is whole. There's only one whole thing in the world, and that is Hashem. I'll tell you something amazing. The def- we are programmed to be happy. We're programmed to be happy. I know that because children are happy. Babies, I don't mean when they have a dirty diaper or need their next feeding, but babies are happy. You look at a baby and smile, they smile. So you look at a baby, they smile, it makes you smile. Babies are programmed, their default is to be happy. Children are happy. And then what happens? Life. Life gets in the way. And they think the world teaches them, what are you so happy about? You're not supposed to be happy. Who told you to be happy? What right do you have to have? What are you so happy about? So they lose the default. Why were they happy when they were so young? Because it was obvious there's a creator. They have a mommy and a daddy, and they have a mommy and daddy, and there's a mommy and daddy for them, and there's a Hashem. So when you're young and innocent and pure, and one might say naive, before you're hardened and cynical and skeptical, so you know there's a God, and that makes you happy all the time. Because whatever happens in your life, there's a God. And then you grow up, and, oh, maybe, I don't know, doubt and certainty, the voice of Amali creeps in. Who knows, and is it really true? And I once heard, and I saw something, and this question makes me believe that it can't be happy, can't be true. And when those voices of doubt and uncertainty, the voices of Amali creep in, then this little child, whose default was to smile and be happy, learns in life to be miserable, that we're supposed to be miserable. So the default, the way we're programmed, is to be happy. Don't mess it up. Don't ruin it. Raise children and teach them and remind them to be happy. To be happy. I think I mentioned last week also, but this year is dedicated to the memory of Brian Gal, but he was happy. And you know what? Because he smiled and chose to be happy, his children are incredibly happy. It's the default. It's the way they were brought up. They, did, they were never taught you're supposed to be miserable. So <laughs> silly them. They're still happy. They still believe there's Hashem. There's a reason they're growing up without their father. But their father taught them that no matter what you face, you can and should be happy. Smile. And you have that capacity. Because Hashem is amazing. And everything is amazing. And the world is amazing. So now Ravitra Meyer has been telling us that the thoughts, any thought, any thought that brings you to sadness is the voice of the Yetzirah. So the voice that says, you're inadequate, you're unworthy, you're incapable, you're pathetic, you're a failure, that's not anything positive to listen to. Ah, I thought we're supposed to do introspection and reflection. I thought we're supposed to evaluate our lives. We are in the positive, in a growth-oriented mindset. But the voice that says, don't bother, don't try, you're nothing, you're a failure, it never works, that voice, silence it, reject it, mute that voice. 
because that is the voice of the Yetzirah. Because any voice which makes you sad and somber, any voice which wipes, wipes away your smile, that is not the voice of the Yetzirah, it's the voice of the Yetzirah. Sheker v'toz. It's a lie. It's false. It's fake. It's counterfeit. Ve'en kam b'chlal michshol. And let's say you had a fall. And let's say you had a failure. And let's say you had an indiscretion. Let's say you made a mistake and you need to learn from it. You could be better. So there are positive ways to analyze and learn from it. But to look at it and learn from it in a way that makes you feel knocked down, makes you feel like you can't get up, makes you feel like you're unworthy, that is the voice of the Eight Sahara. That is the voice of Amalek. Rabbi quickly points out, we're not talking about you violated very clear boundaries. You did very egregious or heinous things that are wrong. There, a person should feel a certain level of shame or guilt because that's a healthy way to experience and hopefully not repeat. But we're talking just in general. We're talking you had the Cape Cod potato chips at midnight. We're talking about... And we're talking about you did something which doesn't cross a clear line. Nowhere in Shulchan Aruch does it say you can't have... Somebody texted me, what happened to the Trader Joe's corn chips? <laughs> Happens to be, I'm not going to say who, but I happen to notice buried deep in a cabinet late last night. Don't ask why I was rummaging through. It was before a fast day. It was a mitzvah. Someone bought a bag of Trader Joe's corn chips. I'm not saying who, but she'll deliver you a coffee cup for the right price to New York. I'm not saying who. Related to her through marriage, but I'm not saying who. <laughs> so, Cape Cod, potato chips, Trader Joe's corn chips, whatever is your kryptonite. So we're talking about not something which is, it doesn't say in Shulchan Aruch you can't eat them. It does, you have to be healthy, you have to eat right, you have to take care of yourself. But there's no sif in Shulchan Aruch specifically says Cape Cod potato chips, Trader Joe corn chip, the shach, the taz, the pischei tshuva, nobody mentions them. Nobody mentioned, they probably ate them, enjoyed them, they would love them. But they don't mention them, they don't mention them explicitly. So you say to yourself, yeah. so then the next day you wake up, by the way, check, the bag is unopened. <laughs> thank you very much, thank you very much. It was a battle, it was a war. Knocked off an entire cube of rice cakes instead. That was a better way to go, right? Better way to go, cube of rice cakes. But the corn chips are unopened. That battle was won. I've lost a lot of battles, but this is a particular battle that was won. We're going to win the war. So you did something that you regret. You did something incongruous and inconsistent with your stated values or your stated goals or your stated resolution. And then you want to beat yourself up. Because plenty of times I tell you the bag is wide open. And in fact, the bag is crumpled at the bottom of the garbage because it was finished from top to bottom. So you wake up the next morning after one of those where you lose the battle and you beat yourself up and you feel miserable and down and negative and you hate yourself. The very language I use, say, I hate myself. Why did I just do that? I am the most lowly, pathetic, I hate myself. So that's the voice of the Sahara. You could say, well, here's what I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen again. Here's what I can learn from that. Or I can let it go because it's okay once in a while. But a voice that says, I hate myself, that's an unhealthy voice, the voice of the Sahara. That's the voice of a Malik. If that voice of self-criticism causes you to grow and improve and be better and a better version of yourself, that is very good. The voice that says, be better, you could be better, here's how to do it better, that's a great voice. That's a coach. That's a coaching voice. That's a trainer. But it's such a fine line 
between the voice of the coach inside your head that says, you could do better, you could be better, here's how, and the voice that says, you'll never do better, you aren't better, you keep failing, just be down on yourself. It's a very fine line, the difference between those voices. You need to know, that's not what Hashem wants. Hashem doesn't want you to be racked with guilt and misery. I was recently talking to somebody who is hot and cold in their religious life. They're either all in or all out, and they're all out right now. And he said to me, you know why? Because I couldn't take it anymore that I just felt guilty all the time. No matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did, all I felt was guilt by what I wasn't doing or what I could have done better. And it's easier for me to just be entirely out. Not observant, not involved, not doing anything. Admires and loves and believes Torah way of life is the right way. But in his own mental health and his own life experience, he says, I couldn't take it. When I was in, I was just riddled and racked by guilt all the time. That's not what Hashem wants. Hashem didn't design a Torah way of life and a Judaism that He wants us to beat ourselves up and be miserable and hate ourselves and be racked by guilt and shame all day long. That's not why He gave us His Torah Akedosha. That's not why He gave us access to His diary. That's not why He shared His blueprint for creation. You know, it's like, it's just occurred to me, this mushroom, I never thought about it this way. You know, you have Google Docs, you make a Google Doc and you can share it with others. And only people who have the link can read it. And if you don't, they don't have access to it. And some can comment, some can be editors, and some are read-only. Because Baruch Hu was Torah, he gave it, he only shared the link with Klai Yisrael. He said, you have access to my blueprint, you have access to my Google Doc called, here are the secrets to world, secrets to life. He gave it to the Jewish people, he wanted to give it to the whole world, but they proved unworthy. And then he said, instead of making it an open link for anyone, it's now a closed link and only the Jewish people have my link. Now the Torah Shabbat Savkin it gave to everybody, but the Torah Shabbat Peh is just for Jews. That's why the Bible's in every drawer of every hotel. That's available to everybody. That link is open. But the Torah Shabbat Peh, that link is only for us. Torah Shabbat the link is read-only. And the Torah Shabbat Peh, the link is, you can comment and edit. You can't edit our Torah Shabbat Peh, but it means that the authors of the Torah Shabbat Peh edited, and we can comment on what they edited. So each, each generation had a different level of access to that link. If you haven't been on Google Docs, you have no clue what I'm talking about right now. But if you live with Google Docs, you love that muscle. It's a great muscle. I love that muscle. So Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Almighty, gave us his Torah. He gave us a link to the Google Doc. He said, here's the secret to life. Here's the blueprint to creation. Here's the way to do it. Don't beat yourself up when you don't get it perfect. Because I know you won't get it perfect. And you know how I know you won't get it perfect? Because I created you. Because you are me. And I know your assets and talents and skills, and I know your liabilities and challenges. And I'm the most forgiving God. I've set up a system where I'm forgiving. Every day, three times a day, you say, Hashivenu avinu, and slach lanu avinu. And every day Hashem says, I say to you, it's okay, we'll start again. Every day. Don't beat yourself up. Can you imagine what a forgiving God is? Imagine if we could be as flexible and forgiving as He is in our relationships in life. Every day we promise to Hashem, today is going to be different, Hashem. This is it. This is the day. This is the day I do everything the way you want. I remember you. I talk to you. I'm grateful to you. I follow your rules. This is it. This is the day. And like before we're three seconds into the day, we've already violated in 20 different ways. We forget to daven. We didn't wash the negavasa correctly. I forgot to make the bracha. I didn't have kavana when I made the... Like 20 different ways that we forgot and violated Hashem within the first 20 minutes of the day. That's not a new challenge. That's just a reality. The likelihood is. And what does Hashem say the next day? Day after day after day, year after year after year of that happening. 
40, 50, 60 years old of doing that. And you know what Hashem says the next day? He says, it's okay, my, my child. It's okay. We'll start again. Try again today. It's okay. Try again today. I'll tell you, what parent would not say to their child who every day says, I know I told you I was going to call you today and every day I tell you I'm going to call you and every day I mean to call you and every day I want to call you and I didn't call you again. And then the child for 20 years doesn't call and every day apologizes and every day promises the next day. What would a parent say? Wouldn't the parent say, it's okay. Just, just try again tomorrow. I really, whichever day you'll start to call me, I'll be grateful and I'll take that call. I love you. It's okay. I want to kill you. I'm pretty disappointed in you. It's pretty painful but my love transcends and supersedes all of that. And my love for you is so much greater than whatever disappointment I have. So you know what? It's okay. It's okay, my child. It's okay, my kinder. Try again tomorrow. And that's what the Rebbe Shalom says. So he says, any voice in your head that's saying, beat yourself up, knock yourself down, you're unworthy, you're incapable, you're pathetic, knock that voice down. That's the voice of Amalek. Knock that voice down. It's the voice of the Sahara. The only voices in our head should be, you made a mistake, learn from it, grow from it. Be better as a result of it. But smile. It's going to be great. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's what we say to our children. That's what Hashem says to us because we are His child. We are His children. That's how He feels and that's what He says. So this is so important. This is so important because we're living, I think, among many people. You know, the spike of mental health challenges that are going on in the world. Unprecedented levels. Not being spoken about nearly enough. It is the they are the casualties of corona whose data and statistics far surpass, not to minimize the tragedies of the loss of human life and the people who are still struggling with long corona, but the mental health consequences of that pandemic far surpass in numbers the casualties physically. And it's not being spoken about or addressed enough, particularly among children who live through a historic, horrific event. Some places and cases are still living through it. So this message that don't feel like a failure, don't knock yourself down, don't be a lost soul, that those voices we have to eradicate and remove and eliminate, that we have to build ourselves up and smile and be our best and believe in ourselves and believe in our best. Stop comparing ourselves to others. Just saw an article in a newspaper that you can't say in front of the Aron Kodesh, whatever, out of New York that uh, talked about a new challenge online for boys. Girls have had for a long time body image issues and uh, eating disorder issues by comparison because of online, boys are having, I forgot what the name of this illness, what they labeled it, but boys are seeing images online of other boys who are so strong and muscular and buff and big and now they're doing all kinds of very unhealthy things to try to live up to that standard. So girls are eating disorders in order to be the size they think the world wants them to be. And boys are taking other kinds of shortcuts to develop the muscles and physique they think the world wants them to be. And what's at the root of both of those horrific pandemics? Following and living not only your life, but living everyone else's life, a fake view of everyone's life, by the way, a counterfeit, carefully curated view of other people's life, and then destroying your own life as a result feeling negative as a result because you think you can't live up. Imagine if we just shut all that down. Imagine if we could turn back the clock a little bit and you can go back to living your life. How much happiness? Well, we can. We just don't. We struggle to. But we can. So, in honor of Tanis Esther today, be happy. This fast is not a sad fast. A happy fast. Put that smile. Keep on smiling and the world smiles with you. 
smile for Shaduchim, smile for Parnasa, smile for Shalom Bayes, smile for Nachas from your children, smile for Bracha Natslacha, smile, smile for success in life. The power of the smile. Smile. On a Tanis, on this Tanis, on this fast day we could smile. And tonight and tomorrow, when Mevatal Ardas, Purim, we let go. The root of so much sadness is thinking we're in charge, we're in control. And the source of so much success is letting go. And that's why, again, not everybody should drink or could drink, but those who let themselves go this once a year lose their capacity to comprehend. Adeloyada. Adeloyada means I forfeit my ability to understand. I don't even pretend like I can follow or, or understand. The world is an enigma. The world is a mystery. I'm not in control. Everyone's wearing costumes I don't recognize and I can't tell the truth of anything. Baruch Mordechai, Aror Haman, I say it backwards. Vinahapochu, it's upside down. Because Hashem, I'm mevatal my das to you. I'm simply nullifying and relinquishing everything I know and believe all to you. You're in charge, you're in control. I'm a gornish, I know nothing. And so you know what happens as a result? You think on the day of the year where you nullify and relinquish your comprehension, your knowledge, your understanding would be the saddest day of the year. I walk around all sad, I don't understand, I don't know, I'm nothing. It's the, it's the opposite. The day in which we say, I can't see, I can't really anticipate, I can't predict, I can't control, and you know what? Let's sing and dance, let's be happy. The result of saying, I can't anticipate, predict, control anything, is now I can be happy. Because what was making me miserable was thinking that I could micromanage the world. And when I let go of that, of that illusion that I could micromanage the world, now I could be happy. That's why it's the happiest day. So wishing everyone a Freilich and Purim. It should be a fantastic Purim. If you're listening to this on Shushan Purim, a great Shushan Purim. If you're listening to it next week, have a fantastic next Purim. But the principles of Purim apply all year round. So make that decision to be happy. You can go out now. You shouldn't drink from it yet. It's still a fast day. But you can buy your cup outside. And if you've not yet given, brsonline.org slash global. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.